Ladies and gents, this is the moment you've been waiting for. A podcast for podcasters. This is Creating the Greatest Show. And I'm your host, Casey Cheshire. Join me as we interview podcast hosts and investigate the ingredients of a successful interview podcast. We'll talk mistakes, earned skills, powerful questions, and more. This show is sponsored by Ringmaster. Completely done for you, B2B podcast production. Okay, here we go. We've hit the button. The thing's recording. We're having a good time. And guess what? My guest today, she's pretty much a badass, I gotta say. And she's got history and story and background and wisdom. She's an entrepreneur, an agency owner, sales and marketing background. She's also a big advocate for DEI. She's got multiple podcasts and she likes to disagree with people sometimes, mostly me. We're gonna we're going to debate a few things in this show. She's the co-host of the 4 a.m. report, What Keeps Marketers Up at Night. Love that. Also the co-host of ABC, DEI. Both of those adding up to over 200 episodes. The author of Unboring. Love that. Founder and CEO of C Plus P Digital, Susan Diaz. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Casey. It's always amazing however many times you do this. It's amazing when someone else introduces you and you're like, yeah, that's me, that's me. We are here. <laughs> yeah, the intro, right? The almighty intro. Yeah. There is so much to talk to you about, but I'd love to start with this one question that we start every show with, mm-hmm. which is to pull, and I didn't tell you this question because we didn't have a prep call, and we're going to talk about that later, but pull back the curtain for us on your show, Susan, and share your most important strategy for a great podcast. Okay. You didn't tell me that, Casey, but I did my research. I listened to your episode, so I know that you asked that question. You did your research. All right. And so, Thank you for the listen. And also, you know, here's a little like uh, foreshadowing to what we're about to talk about, which is that when you don't do the pre-call, you get to do the research. Uh, uh, see, I'm already winning this argument. Oh, I see. I see. So in terms of the question that you asked there about most important strategy. I think it's really taking yourself back to that one thing, which is like, why are you doing this? In our case, for the 4 a.m. report, we've got 195 episodes and we started in 2018. And the reason that we started the podcast was because as content marketers, we recognized that the written medium wasn't quite getting us to where we wanted to go. And the audio, sorry, the video medium was exhausting for us. Like in the way that production happened at that time, it was like pre-pandemic. So like everything was over the top. So with that sort of like understanding of like, this is hard, this is not working, what's in the middle? And then we found audio. So my partner in the business and long-term co-host, um, sort of like brought the idea and I was like oh my god do we need another thing like do we need another thing like there's so much going on uh but then we started to look at the systematization that's possible you know the connecting with people at scale that's possible and then when we drew out that business case it was like okay this is a no-brainer so we'll push past any personal discomfort any whatever and then really focus on the fact that this podcast is entirely for the purpose of building our pipeline that's where the strategy was for us. Now, do you show up to build a pipeline the way people show up on LinkedIn and like, you know, like send out awful DMs or do you like create real, <laughs> do, you, right. do you like create real value in terms of like, and people use the word value like all over the place right now, but it's like, what do you feel sort of like in harmony with, right? Like, I mean, I feel like I know how to do this. I know how to ask good questions. I know how to spotlight other folks' opinions while also showing up as a quasi, you know, reasonable conversationalist. I know how to provide that experience. And so let's bring that together and do the podcast. So that strategy has stayed front and center for us. Like anytime you want to like move back and you're like, okay, this is not going whatever it is. It's like, is this doing what it's supposed to do? Is it bringing us those business pipeline conversations at scale? Is it being the first discussion mm. point anytime people meet us, meet us, right? Or like when you go to an event, are people coming up to, to you and saying, I know your podcast? Then yes, that's that's the number one thing I can give your folk. Is, 
boil it back and it's like, why the heck are you doing this? And in our what case, that? I mean, pipeline. In our yeah. case, it was like bringing the pipeline. We're doing it with podcasts. Yeah. You know what? Every, all of the smartest people I've ever talked to always boil it back down to like, what's the goal? Yeah. Right. Because I think so many of us get distracted by the details of how to do something. We're not thinking about well, why are we doing this in the first place? And so that is a power tip, even before we dive in any deeper, it's just the fact of like, why am I doing this and letting that inform your decisions? Yeah. I love that. And now I want to take this down further and talk about this building pipeline thing because we've definitely seen it done wrong. Mm-hmm. I've definitely gotten those DMs on LinkedIn that are like, join my podcast with a link to a, you know, a landing page or a giant form. And it's like self-service model, like put your credit card in and get yourself on my podcast. Yeah. I've even gotten email, emails from people saying like, act now before we run out of space on this <laughs> podcast that your friend John the put you up model, for. Right? It's like, yeah, I don't even like John. Like, well, why, why am I on this? And they're like, no, you don't forget this. Do it, do it now. So I've definitely felt the wrong. How do you do this the right way? How do you build pipeline with a podcast? I think essentially in our case, like to qualify, like we do focus on like business to business podcasts, right? Like B2B podcasts, yes. largely in the service space. And in your case, you're you're specifically talking about interview-led podcasts. Um, I think that for us, it was that idea of building conversations like at scale, right? So you start by going out there and being like, I could have conversations with a lot of people. After you pass that initial fear space of like, oh, no one's going to come on my podcast. I'm going to have to force my friends and family for the first five episodes you'll realize that there's a lot of folks that are options out there for guests, right? And then you start to calendar and put together, like, who are the people that that I want to start showcasing and for what goal, taking it back to the goal, you, you, like, focus on, like, specific kinds of guests. Now, who those guests are after doing it wrong and doing it right a while, we realize it's 80% your ideal client profile. Because... You're going to start having those conversations with those people to understand literally from asking the question, what keeps them up at night, right? I mean, like I'm getting into the, the this podcast studio with this founder-led brand and I'm like, what keeps you up at night? And then they start to talk about whatever it is. And we've heard all kinds of answers. We've heard, you know, like marketing tactics. We've heard like no revenue repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. We've heard like funding problems. And then two out of 200 people who said they sleep fantastically and they have no problem whatsoever. And we hate them and love them all at the same time. <laughs> right. But that's, that's good odds that, you know, if 198 people out of the 200 are also like the rest of us, they're not pod people, no. right? They're not, you know, children of the corn. They actually have trouble sleeping because they have challenges. Yeah. So, okay. So you asked that question, what keeps you up at night? Is, is And that's even the name of the show. Is there any, I guess there, you've gotten 200 guests. So I would just be wondering if people would want to join a podcast that is about something so negative or about like think, their worst fear. I think we went in quite simply thinking about it as like, okay, we'll just reach out to the people that we want to talk to. We'll like start to like break it down for, for them and say, hey, this is what we do. And then we start to discover this is not typical. Like, if you look at the, the kind of firms that we were trying to talk to, which was, um, you know, like pretty much like I would call it the deeply unsexy stuff, which is like mm-hmm. the finance and the legal and the healthcare kind of firm. We would realize that some of their executives or some of their founders, if they were earlier stage company, had literally never been in a podcast. Like they have never even heard of what like they were like, okay, I understand what a podcast is. And it sounds a lot like a radio show. Um, and it sounds like it's serious and it needs to be deeply prepared for and stuff. And we're like, well, it can be, but it could also be a conversation between two people and you're just a fly on the wall and you get to be so lucky as to listen to the way in which those people's brains work. And I think in a lot of cases, the people who come to listen to podcasts, they come to listen, number one, I think is neurodiversity, right? Like it's a different way of learning. It's not only learning from from a page or learning from moving picture, it's learning from audio, right? And and I think number two, because you're you're signing up for that way where you're like, just break this down for me slowly. Like, don't hit me with all of the information at one shot. And I think when people start to absorb that, 
you can almost see the light in their eyes. And that attracts me, Casey. Like, I, that's what keeps me coming back. It's like almost yeah. like introducing people to an idea that they never thought about and then watching them like enjoy it. And then finding that I can learn from them in a place which is comfortable instead of like, I sit here, you sit there, and we get really like, like structured about it. This is chilled and people like that as listeners. Mm. It's that regular conversation that they're joining. They're not hearing that overly scripted kind of Correct. thing. It's yeah. not like a speaking engagement, right? For which you prepare and then you have like clear outlines and, and to just sort of paint a picture of the other side. Like I've been on a few shows, yours is not one of them, I will attest to the guests, where I've gotten a clear set of questions that the, the hosts plan to ask. And I'm all over that. I like to be prepared. The thing is, though, like once you go in there to that question questionnaire, mm-hmm. you then find that there's very little room for follow-up, right? So you drop some gold in answer to one of the questions and the person's like, aha, okay, on to question number seven. <laughs> So that's what I'm, that's the, that's what I mean in terms of like the conversational thing is just so much more enjoyable. It pulls you in, it keeps you in and keeps you in is, is what we call engagement in the marketing world, right? I mean, and that's what we all want. Thank you for that answer. And for my next question, question number nine, I'm going to ask <laughs> X, Y, and Z, right? Yeah. It drives me bonkers when you drop some powerful nuggets like engagement and conversation is what makes it so much more enjoyable. And I completely ignore you. And I, instead I go and I just yeah. ask the next question. Yeah. yeah. Instead of just taking a, well, either a leap or a little bit of confidence or just being curious. Like, what do you mean by that? And, and one of the things I wanted to, to riff off of too was I've heard you mention several times now and we talked briefly about this beforehand that you like being prepared. And in my mind, what better way to prepare than having a prep call? That, Tell me. That's funny. It, that, that short answer is prep calls are a synchronous way to prepare. And the way that I like to prepare is asynchronously. Like I would rather get into your head and your listeners' heads by listening to a few of your episodes. I would rather, rather ask a question or two out of your production team in terms of what is expected. And it's not to say that I don't like this method. If you said to me, hey, Susan, this is the only way in which I find myself able to prepare, I will make myself available. And I do that on our podcast. And you can't be purely one way or another. But you're a pro. I'm a pro. So I threw it out there and you picked it up, right? I mean, so, yeah, so that's that's my thing is like my preparation is asynchronous. I like to prepare without having to talk to someone. Because again, taking it back to that neurodiversity perspective, I am an introvert. Much as you show up and you perform and you do your thing and you enjoy it for three to four hours, I need a good amount of time in which I am not required to make eye contact. I am not required to like, you know, hold my body in a certain way. I'm not required to pretend that this is not difficult for me. And so with that in mind... Whether you're interested. Oh, then I'm interested. In many cases, I am interested (laughs) because I'm superbly curious and I listen to everything. Just a question of when I choose to process the thing that I heard, right? And so I think that when I realized that you get to, and maybe like, again, we can talk about imposter syndrome in many ways, but you realize like, at what point are you able to ask for what you need, right? Like at some point Mm. you can. And I think for me, that point was when I had done about 50 podcast episodes and when I had been on about 25 interviews with other folks, I'm like, I'm going to ask for what I need. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and that does bring up the difference between like a seasoned guest and maybe one of those other guests you've had who don't even know a pod. Oh, podcast sounds like a radio show. That's right. Uh, you know, and I, I completely respect your des- desire to do asynchronous research because in the end, you are still committing cycles and effort to wanting to do the best you can. And your method is to, to research, re- ask a producer, or do some listening really listening is probably the best way you can prep for a show because yeah. you hear it. So if I, if, even if I tell you the vibe we're going for <laughs> is like professional and silly, you know, which I'm just coming up with right now. I'm not saying people, but uh, even if I tell you that, you listening to it will tell you if I'm Did actually it? making that up or not. Did it? You know? Yeah. So I, I totally get that. Yeah. And the other thing I've noticed since we are going into that point a little bit and 
I feel like an argument isn't complete unless you have at least two some points. The other thing is that I feel like, um, I feel like sometimes when you do the prep call, it sort of blurs and you forget to mention some of those points in the actual call. So you feel like you've already spoken about it. Um, and I've had that happen, particularly in the case of a couple of anxious guests. And we've had quite a few of those. Some of the most brilliant ones are usually the anxious ones, in my opinion. And a couple of them are like, oh, man, we never mentioned that because I thought we spoke about it. But oh, that was in the pre-call, was it? I mean, like, you know, that kind of thing. And then you're like, it doesn't matter because you dropped so much gold there that like the one left out point is irrelevant. Um, so I learned how to be more comfortable. And again, it goes back to because I was a co-host at that time, I was like, you've got to look at it from the perspective of all the people. And my co-host loved the format of the pre-call, much like yourself. And so we went both ways <laughs> and landed on the, on the, on the no pre-call. You know, I, I think to, uh, to absolutely just destroy you in this argument, I will go back to your, I will use your own point against you, <laughs> right? So I will go back to what is the goal of the podcast? If the goal of the podcast is, in my case, you know, to create a relationship that eventually can turn into a partnership or business, you know, biz dev, if that's the case, then wouldn't you like an extra half hour with your guests? You win, Casey. To just take build it. a little more rapport. I take the argument. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, Considering but if your goal isn't, <laughs> if your goal isn't, you know, to build a relationship, uh, yeah, I've met certain you. people where the, the brand is the goal, in yeah. which case, knock yourself out. Do a quick thing. Get Seth Godin on your show Yeah, and, you know, chat with him for 15 minutes so you can say that you chatted with him and then, you know, promote that and do that kind of thing. But yeah, I just like the extra time with people. But I, I hear you. You can do it wrong. I've definitely sat on a prep call for 30 minutes where people are like, so what's up? And you're like, yeah, you just came out of being like super alpha, like, uh, you know, <laughs> a, a style person like da, 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 you gotta get all these things done you get on a call with someone who's like hey man what's up you know they're like what are we doing here you know are we prepping for this podcast and they're just chatting yeah that doesn't work right so yeah. i like get in get out you know give some logistics go through the flow of the show sh share the energy answer any questions and then you kind of build some excitement and you look forward to chatting um i i but, you know you. pros can handle either way that's true sure. both ways yeah but I mean, I think you're right that, you know, like a, a pro guest doesn't need it, especially if you're asking them things that are going to keep them on their talking points. Whereas somebody who's not a pro definitely could use it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I also like to, to prep my guests to deliver answers in certain formats that are more easily convertible into good content. Smart. Right. So I'll like, also like craft them a little bit. Yeah. But you're right. It, it, it is kind of superfluous in the, in the higher up you go in terms of people you ask. Sometimes you don't get those because they're a busy author and it's they have no true. time for you. And, yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Totally. I know you're. I know you're like quasi mocking me there, Casey. But I'm gonna say that is something that came into the thing where we were like, you know, what we're talking to CEOs and founders who are like, if if they do have time for you, it's because they probably don't realize they're missing something else that they should have been doing. True. So true. No, I, I don't. I don't recall you saying no to the prep. Did you say no to the prep? Are you saying, yeah. see, I'm not, they let you through? How do they let you through? It's hilarious. Um, but it's like those kind of things where we've been like, you know, we'll just throw the option out. But this is us as pros just like having fun with this because it's a way of demonstrating yeah. that there is no one way. Like, totally. it's again, it goes back to that inclusion point, which is that like, if you listen, you'll know what your guest wants. Like last week, I had a pre-call, a post-call, uh, you know, a couple of things with a guest. Because I was like, I can tell. Like, this person wants to just, like, talk it out, be clear. And they're also in the process of having, like, a moment of epiphany around some of the things we talked about. And so this is prime relationship yeah. material. So I'm all mm. over that. That said, I just want people to be cognizant of the fact that there are multiple ways to get to that end. <laughs> Totally, totally. And the only things that you and I say are the, are the right ones. Everyone else's opinion is completely incorrect. Um, <laughs> irrelevant. Yeah, totally. Hey, can I bring you back to the, um, the pipeline building? Yeah. Do you, if you were to sort of summarize, do you have any power tips? Like, how do you do that right? How do you convert your guests? There's like one or two, three, like 
most important things you need to do, because I think a lot of people listening to this have podcasts, they've made some great relationships with their guests, but it's about that conversion yeah. into a deal. Into a deal. Okay, so a couple of things. One is it's going to sound moderately um, woo-woo here for a second, but it's sort of recognizing that that, that deal or that sort of um, movement, there's the reciprocity is not one-on-one. It's kind of circular, right? I mean, like it's not that someone comes on your podcast as a guest and that person's like immediately going to be like floored by your brilliance and hires you for a five-figure deal. Like that's not the way that that equation works. Instead, what happens is that you're putting out a strong piece of your own mind, your intellectual property, you're walking people through sort of like the process of working with you almost, right? You're rolling out a little bit of a a red carpet. And so people start to see that and then they start to like be like, you know, okay, these people are cool. And then comes that next piece, which is, okay, this material has been released on the day that we said it would be released. So you're building a little bit of trust there. And then you're building a little bit of pride for them because this body of work is co-created. So they're happy to share. So I think it's less about like, hey, here's my social post that you want to push out and more about like, I trust you to push this out into environments where I may not even know about them. Like you might be telling mm-hmm. someone like dark social and like, you know, hat tip to Chris Walker for making that term something that every marketer and salesperson understands right now. But like the fact that somebody's telling someone about you in a room that you know nothing about is is uh, like podcasting is hugely sort of demonstrative of that, right? So that's that second piece. So you started with like, like doing what you said you would, establishing that trust, and then you've given them a little bit of co-creative material to add to their body of work. And then the third thing becomes like stay in touch. Like every good salesperson will tell you, like you got to stay in touch. Now that doesn't look like bumping this up to the top of your inbox or checking in again to see if you want to work with me. It looks much more like, hey, you know, you and I talked about that thing, Casey, in our podcast interview in which we disagreed. Here's a piece from the Harvard Business Review in which they talk about disagreement being the cause of all innovation. I don't know. I'm making that shit up. But, you know, something like that. To Yeah. Something like that to like continue to stay in touch. And then eventually it'll get there. I mean, it, like, traditional marketing says it. Current experience says it. Like a few times of showing up and being there for each other. It does lead to either a referral or some type of way in which those people will serve you. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's a really interesting point to even go back to the beginning when you were setting the the preface to this is that it's not always one-to-one, but I think sometimes as marketers, we can tend to think like it's a one-to-one lead channel. No. And then you look at the the spend and you're like, where's my ROI? No. And I've interviewed you know, 198 guests, how many did I convert? Is this a success? Is it a failure? And it's tricky because you, you're right, you got to track the referrals, you got to track these other ones. And all that goes back to credit. And sometimes people just listened, you have no idea and they converted. No. And But then they'll tell yeah, you, Chris then Walker. you'll go to an event and someone will come up to you and be like, I saw that picture of you doing blah, blah, because our podcast is called The 4M Report and we often would like, like do the actual thing where it'd be like, robe and pajamas and you know sitting in front of your uh, your computer which people would have seen and it's a little bit different than the standard podcast cover and they're like i've seen that podcast cover image and then you're like oh wow i feel like a a d-list celebrity right now because that is dark social i think and how does it convert like can you put a timeline on it can you put a dollar value on it i believe so i think if you start to work on it you can't do it initially, but eventually you can be like, okay, this year out of our podcast and the guests that come from it, we expect to make X dollars. And then you can track it back because you'll find it's not that many steps, right, Casey? Like, like let's look at podcasting facts for a second. There's only 5 million podcasts in total in, in 2023, out of which only 150,000 are active on a weekly basis. So... Wait, how many? 150,000. That's it. That's all. Like 150,000 wow. podcasts are active on a weekly basis. 
And so like th- this opportunity is just massive. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I've heard the big number thrown around, but that number means nothing if you don't take in consideration the active weekly number. That's right. Yeah, because anyone can just go register something on Spotify, but if you're not actively keeping it up. Uh, by the way, did you interview Chris Walker? No, 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 no. I haven't on the podcast. It's probably imposter syndrome, I'm not going to lie. The guy who intimidates me is so smart. Yeah, well, that the best thing to do is interview them before you know how important they are, right? It's true. So I... <laughs> I interviewed him on my other podcast, The Hardcore Marketing Show. Yeah. And it was interesting is uh, his claim to fame with me is obviously he's brilliant, but he drank three cold brew coffees before the interview, right? I don't know about you, but one cold brew, half of one, I mean, it has more caffeine than normal and I'm good. Like I am awake. I'm like but he drank so. yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And, and I've got, yeah, I've got that and I've got this. So I'm ready to go. Two but, beverages. Uh, it's, the, it's the new sign of riches. You've got to have two to three beverages at any given time. How many mugs do you have, right? I've, you got to hold up the mugs. I've two, but only because the other one's over there and I don't want to leave the screen. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, and then he was drinking one during the show. And I was oh, like, wow. you're crazy. High energy. But yeah, you should totally have him on. He's really, but you know what? You know what he would answer though? Nothing keeps him up at, oh, you, know, you know what keeps him up at night? The cold the brew cold coffee, coffee, keeps, coffee him keeps him up at night. That's what keeps that's him up. That's what keeps him yeah. up at night. Well, it's not marketing. It's not dark social. He no. solved all those problems. That's right. It's it's just the, the coffee. You need to clip um, this out and send it to him and say, this is social impact, yo. This is how you make industry yeah, th- change. Yeah. yeah. And you now you're getting mentioned on someone else's podcast. And you weren't even in the interview. See, that's, that's real gold, right? Like you're not even that's doing it. the interview and you're getting mentioned. So... Now we just need to bottle that up and sell it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, I wanted to take you back to the, uh, well, there's a couple of things. Uh, you list out the different parts of the reciprocity, the material for their work. I, are you, you're creating collateral for your guest? Is that, is no, that what I'm you're not, talking about? Not that specific. I think it's, uh, okay. you could, we don't do it, but it's just reminding the guests that, there's perspectives in which that you can present. So, for example, you and I talked about Dr. Jim and we met through Dr. Jim. So what, Shout out to Dr. Jim. Yeah, shout out to Dr. Jim. So when he was on our podcast, like he gave, gave my audience some incredible gold in terms of how to look past the cold call and break it down into like a certain number of steps. And so when we went back into it and pulled it out and like started to write some pieces, like we did this eight step thing to talk to strangers. And I don't think Dr. Jim had actually thought about it like that. But the way that we had pulled it out and we're like, listen, Jim, this is your eight step framework to talk to strangers. He was like so chuffed. And then he took that and he used it. And then like he's coming to talk to one of our private mastermind groups to take that theme a little bit further. So all I'm saying is that once you're open to it, you realize that people spotlight parts of the way in which you think that you never could in your own way. And so that's, I think, where the true power of co-creation lies. I think we're scratching the surface where we're like, we all release it. We do it together. We see it as our baby, you know, that kind of thing. Yes, we're, we're hitting those goals on the regular. But I think there's opportunity to go deeper into that as well. Wow. And I also see that from your perspective, if you're if you're a content agency creating a, a bit of smart content for for Jim saying, hey, by the way, did you know he, you had an eight, you know, step system here just lurking in the dark? And he's like, oh, well, imagine that. It probably looks really good. It's impressive. Even better if he can use it. And may, now maybe he needs to get your group to do content for him. Do you so see that's that? A, that's like, great, I mean, well, right that's there, gift. that's it. And it's like, maybe we don't even necessarily document it at that workflow. And thanks for that, Casey. It's going to go down on the yeah. workflow right now. Um, but, you know, yeah. maybe we <laughs> yeah. don't document it exactly like that. But that is the thing that you're trying to do is walk them through that experience of what it might be like to work with you, right? And so, right. yeah, that's basically the goal. Yeah, love that. Material, and then you need to stay in touch. How can you stay in touch You've got close to 200 guests on one show, 40, 50 on the other. Yeah. How do you keep track of all your friends? You know, that, there's that number that says you can keep track of 150 people and that's it. That's it. So how do you keep track of all of it's them? It's all about a system, I think, right? Like you got to have a little bit of, after a certain point, you got to have a little bit of um, an automation piece, like whatever that looks like. It may not be a formal CRM, but some sort of 
like starting to think about it, like as like, how do I manage these relationships? Right. And so in my case, in a lot of the, uh, a lot of the time, although we do have the CRM, it's an Excel sheet. It's an Excel sheet of like seeing these folks and being like, oh, I'm going to stay in touch with them on LinkedIn. I'm going to make sure that like I put myself aside. It's not about me or my messaging. It's much more about showing up for those folks. It's like when they post something, I'll go and interact. Um, and like fun fact, more recently on LinkedIn, it started to document what type of interaction you're engaging on. So it's not just your posts and then your activity. Is It's like posts, mm. videos, you know, uh, nobody has audio yet, Casey. Like, that's a bummer. But, not you know, yet. posts, video, not yet. Posts, video, and it says comment right now. So even just commenting on people's work with some value, not just good post brain, like no, no one cares about that. But like that stuff, yeah. I think, is is where like if you put yourself aside and take away the need to create new material and instead just show up for their stuff, I think you'll have a lot to talk about. Show up for, and it goes back to your original point about reciprocity, really just giving before yeah. you get and just give, 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 give in different ways. Having them as a guest on the podcast as a give, you know, giving them this extra content or the thought about that content as a give. Um, showing up on their content is a give. Lots of gives involved there, and and yes. no no call to action buried Yet. underneath there. Or do you? I Yet. mean, how well? How upfront do you get? Not initially. I think there are no call to actions in the beginning. At least none that will be taken seriously. You can certainly put them in there, but there are none that yeah. people will pay attention to until you sort of like uh, sort of built that value and built that trust and you know, like what, what basically is the 101 of demand generation, right? But then eventually, I think you do need to like develop that muscle where you're able to pick up the phone and ask. And I say pick up the phone with some degree of intentionality there because it's un underutilized. Do I like doing it? No. But am I training myself to do it because we're audio people? Like, why not, right? I mean, so I think like you do have to get good at asking. Like after some time, I do have to be like, who do I know on my podcast guest list who can help me get to this next outcome, right? And so that's a big part of my yeah. go-to-market motion is I'm not going to go into a situation cold if I can help it because I got someone who can bring me one degree closer. Right, right. Man, I you have me thinking about all sorts of things, thinking about keeping track of people and... You know, one of the things I used to do in the in the old days, I'm gonna bring it back, is a strategic coach. Yeah. Have you heard of those? Oh yeah, guys? the coach and Dan yeah. Sullivan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dan Sullivan. Yeah. yeah. They have this thing called the Farm Club. Right. Where it's a list of people, maybe 20 people that you want to keep in most touch with. Correct. And and I used to print out their faces and put them on the wall with a couple things to remind me about them. And I just, you know, it, it's one thing to have them, you know, excel for sure. You gotta do that for the two hundred, but then focus on a few and and I'd see their face on the wall. Hey, what is Susan up to? Let me shoot yeah. her a message or let me check her LinkedIn out, you know, just to sort of actively focus on some people. Correct. Correct. Have you ever made any communities after? Like, yeah. do you ever invite people to a community after a pod? I think that initially we tried to sort of do that in the, in the form of education. I realized that yeah. that was not necessarily the way that it was to continue because the assumption that if someone's interested in guesting on your podcast, that they're automatically interested in learning about podcasts is, is a loose formula. It's not the way it works. Um, right. That said, I think a lot of people who were indeed interested, we created a podcast masterclass, which we did for three over the course of the, um, of the early months of the pandemic. And then we moved that into like a product and so forth. So there was community around that. But I think what has worked in the long term has been smaller roundtable mastermind rather than like larger communities in which people sort of like free for all interact with one another. And I've also yeah. discovered that the way to populate them with people that are, that have intent to participate in the communities to also make them paid. Like there are a lot of free communities on the internet. Um, and if we go to every community that offered value and they all probably do, like no one's going to do the work <laughs> and invite you to a community unless there's like some solid foundations, right? So, um, so yeah, I have experimented with communities. 
it has come out of podcasts. It's not a direct one-to-one. And what's working for me is small roundtables of under 10 people. Yeah. I think also the the kind of guest and member of the community matters too. I've seen a lot of success from like a software user group. We're all in it together. We're all marketing managers mm-hmm. trying to use the silly email tool. Let's band together and, you know, share our woes. But more of the senior levels, I've seen exactly what you're talking about, which is that mastermind group. Yeah. I've even been invited to a few um, fractional CMO user groups and a little, they call it a brain trust. Yeah. And it's actually been fascinating to see 80 some odd people join a Zoom call on a monthly basis. Yeah. And, you know, maybe they don't want to be in your Slack group or, you know, your message board, but they, they'll, they'll show up for a, a monthly thing mm-hmm. if you're productive at that time. Like back to Chris Walker, right? Like I'm in his whole uh, demand gen life thing was like um, exactly that. It was like a community of a hundred folks who would show up and I've been to a couple of his sessions and like there's always people there because they, they've got, what, it, what what is it that draws you? A, subject matter expertise. But that's not, yeah. he's not the only source in the marketing world that offers that. There's a lot of people. But B, it's that ability to have that conversation. Like how often can you go chat with like a, a big thought leader in, in like days of yore, right? I mean, like he yeah. made that sort of thing possible. The access piece is huge. So I think that's what community builders need to be also thinking about is access to that, the, the type of people who are other people's heroes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the cohort really matters, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not around people that challenge you. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, certain people might like and enjoy showing up being the best person in the class, but I much, I see much more value being the you know, dumbest person I in the room you. or, yeah. you know, the other thing, right? Where uh, let me just learn yeah. from everyone else. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's cool. So if these are all the things that are going well with podcasting, tell me, what do you think right now is the biggest challenge with podcasting? I think there's um, or your challenge. I think like it's always a challenge if you have to go into a room and explain to people the value of something. And I find far too many of my conversations still involve awareness creation. And while I'm tempted to be like, oh, if I have to tell you what the thing is, then I should probably not be talking to you. I am reminded that this is still early days. And much as I feel like we've been doing this for five years, that does not mean that everyone is at the same stage, right? And then the second layer to that discussion is like, is that indicative of the fact that this is never going to, is this about as, you know, big as podcasting is going to get? Like, if we didn't think about that, we wouldn't be smart podcasters, but What keeps me coming back and staying is the fact that I truly believe that we haven't even scratched the surface on this. And uh, yeah, so that is a challenge. It's a big challenge. Like if I have to be like, hey, my name is Susan Diaz and I'm a content marketing founder and the hill I would die on is podcasting. And they're like, oh, podcasting, do people still listen after the pandemic? And then you're like, oh God, another one of those conversations. (laughs) Right, right. Or aren't there enough podcasts in the world? And then you have to trot out that this many videos and this many blog posts argument. Yeah, the blogs, right? Something like 200 million blogs out there. It's literally like a three zeros thrown on top of it. Like, that's the way I like to think about it. It's like, yeah. Yeah. And then definitely no one has time for those. So that's another problem. Uh, but at least with podcasting, I don't, what's your, what's your argument of, you know, to really compete? How do you, I mean, how do you compete out there? Do you go super niche? How do you, what kind of approach? I, I, th- I think so. I think you get niche. I think there's too much sort of like, um, emphasis or airtime that's given to the idea of building audiences and somehow that the only way to do that is if you have these massive numbers, right? So starting to think like in micro numbers, be like, listen, I want to be a center of influence. Or what's the, what's the word? Like a big fish in a small pool. Like that's that kind of idea. I think that's always helpful. Like, and it's hard for marketers. Like for us as marketers, 
to be like, hey, we're going to do this at a time when we think we're already like a couple of decades too late to podcasting. Like, how do you create a niche? Mm -hmm. I think at that point, you start to think about who you're for, like, you know, so there's always some way to niche it. And I think there's lots of work out there about category design and niche definition. So it's worth spending some time learning those concepts to be like, even if I do the same thing as everyone else, I've got to believe that I serve the world in a different way. So what is that, that way? That's probably where the niche is. Love that. Cool. Cool. Okay. Um, I mean, I feel like I, we, we could talk, we could nerd out. I mean, I'm with you on the awareness <laughs> creation and all this. Uh, we, we could get a lot of counseling. I was asked to ask you a question. Yeah. You, your, your, your dark social influence has spread beyond even me or you. And I was asked when they heard that I was going to be chatting with you to talk about the idea of the newsletters and these other things out there to promote the show and how you activate your audience that way. Okay. How do I use newsletters? Okay. Because, because we're content marketers and the internet reads information in words. Like pretty much everything else, everything we do is pulled back into words. And like yeah. social is a changing thing. And like, I think having large followings and having these like communities is fantastic if you know how to reach them. So like a bunch of years ago, I think it was shortly after the murder of George Floyd, we decided to leave all of the Facebook universe, Instagram included, mm -hmm. right? And so at that time, you had to think about like, okay, these thousands and thousands of people on various platforms mean absolutely nothing unless you actually know how to get in touch with them how to keep them regularly engaged without bouncing from your material and so forth. So that's, I think, where this email list thing as your housekeeping came to, came to, came to be. And also trying to like challenge that notion that the only way to build an engaged newsletter is to create something from scratch. It really isn't. Like take podcast material and convert it into some degree of like take this conversation, for example, where we're talking like 40 minutes in, like there's like 65 emails that can come out of this one piece if we, if, 100%. Like, if we so chose, right? And so yeah. I think that's, that's the concept I want people to think about is take, don't treat content like it's use and throw, like treat content like something that's deeply valuable. Like I think in a recession, we're all thinking about no waste so don't waste that content, like go look at right. it and like pull out the, the nuggets. And so that's where the emails come from. So if we appear to be writing emails for clients and ourselves as if it's coming out of thin air, trust me, it's not. It's coming out of conversations they're having with people. Gotcha. So you're repurposing the show content in another way, which would be a newsletter. How Now, people that haven't done this yet are probably like, exciting. People that have podcasts might be sort of full of the trauma of the fact of having too much content. You're right that this conversation alone could create blog posts and could create all sorts of... How do you sort through it all and know what you put in the newsletter and know what you're going to repurpose? I think you have to go back to some, again, back to goal, right? Okay, so this is the top goal. Yeah. These are the three main ways in which we're going to serve that goal. So that's your strategy. And these are the three or four channels in which we're going to do it, which is the tactics, right? So once you've got that core right. thing laid out, you got to come back and this is the flywheel again. Like you, like you don't just do it once. You come back to it again and again. And then when you're tempted to say that I'm not able to create content because I don't feel inspiration or if you're like, oh, this is too frequent for me, this kind of stuff gives you the option. Like, for example, from our own personal experience, when after doing it, like doing the podcast, like, twice a week, then once a week, and then two times a month. When you change the cadence and bring it lower, you impact other systems, right? Like what's going to happen to the newsletter? What's going to happen to the social posts that we do, which comes out of this? Like when you start to yeah. think like that, you realize that there isn't only one pass at this material. Like go back and give it another pass. Like go back and re-edit that other podcast. Go back and put 10 videos together to make your podcast. Like the sky's the limit, you know? 
Um, and that same thing, I think, goes for how do we approach it? Priorities. Like, really go back to what do we need to do and what's the most efficient way to get there? What would you say is the most critical part of that newsletter if you're repurposing a podcast? I think it's, it's to dissociate from the podcast. Like, almost nobody should know that this came out of a podcast conversation because I don't think people want to feel like they're being served up um, what shall I say? They're being served up recycled information or old information or information that hasn't been thought through in the medium, right? And so you, I think you have to explain to people, well, don't try to hide it. Not like, oh, you know, I just magically came up with this. Like, for example, that eight-step right. framework from Dr. Jim, we sent it out to our list and had people respond to us. But we didn't lead with, in my conversation with Dr. Jim, I came up with blah, blah, blah. That's, nobody wants to read that, yo. Like, I mean, what they want to read is, are you having a hard time talking to strangers? I feel you. Here's an eight-step thing. P.S. Created by blah. Oh, do put the P.S. in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, in things which are so specifically intellectual property oriented, in which like, at least in our system, I would be like, that's Dr. Jim's idea. As opposed to saying that, oh, I came up with it. If I'm clearly able to be like, this is your idea, not mine. I'm probably going to tell you in a conversation, right? Hey, thanks for that. So yeah. I think the same thing in writing is probably cool. Well, and by all means, cite your sources. But what we're what I'm hearing is you're, you're not citing the podcast or even Jim at the beginning. You're saying, let's get to this. Yeah. And at the bottom, you're like, this is Jim's That's right. badass content. And... And I chatted with him on this gnarly podcast or not that? that, just, that yes, yeah? you could, depending okay. on the thing. Like not in everything. Like if I was going to send it out as an email, I would put all of that in at the bottom. If it was just a LinkedIn post, I don't think I would put that much info because I don't think people have that much attention span. Of course they do, yeah. but they don't have that much attention span for every single piece. Yeah, they're not really going to click over there to check that out, right? Let's just throw that out of the window. It's not going to happen. So how do you get more subscribers if they're not going to be clicking these links? I think, see, the question becomes, how do you, how do, like, what is your marker or your KPI or your, like, your success numbers, right? So, yeah. like, I would say to me, it's a matter, or, or to many of our podcasts in the B2B space, it's a matter of how many people you're moving into your first degree. Like, how many people are coming to that. So it's more depth than anything else. That's the audience you're building. So let's say if at one point there were like 25 people you could talk to, are you in a position where you can talk to 50 people right now? Can you take that to 75? Yeah. You know, that's probably where the influence lies. You definitely want to think about audience has to keep growing. Like if it's going downwards, that's cause for concern. But audience alone is a vanity metric without translating mm. to goal. It's more directional. It's not, yeah, the vanity trap is uh, is a real thing mm -hmm. uh, for sure. Uh, well, I'd lo love to throw this final question at you. Actually, second thought, what, what keeps you up at night? Do people ask you that on the show? Do they ever turn the question back at you? Almost no one. It's a state of mind as well. It's like almost like really? people are so relieved to be asked the question that no one thinks about reciprocity immediately. Maybe they ask other folks inside me. But very, yeah, it is kind of rare yeah. when you have a guest ask you the question. <laughs> the same yeah. question back. Definitely. But that said, I have been on a couple of podcasts where some like like you right now where I've been asked that question. Just like here. Yeah. yeah. So what keeps me up at night? The funny answer is I have a puppy. He's a six-month-old beagle and he certainly does keep me up at night. But what keeps me up at night beyond that, I think, is yeah. revenue. Like I'm a an entrepreneur. I'm a an immigrant who came here and decided to jump off a cliff and we're like, okay, like the rules are dead to me. I'm gonna build my own business, build my own hours raise a child and like do whatever while I'm doing it. I think for sure, like the, just getting to your, getting to a place where you're like, I'm not going to change this way of living. And I do believe in the abundance that this was, is going to happen to me or happen for me because this is the best way in which I serve the world. But yeah. that's not a daily, every minute belief. There are times when I seriously question that. So that can keep me up at night. <laughs> yeah. I, it, I hear you on, 
here on all things entrepreneur, but, but man, you've got a lot of things you're juggling and it's not like you can prioritize because some of the things just all need to happen. They all need to happen. And then you find a way, right? And then I've read books along the way, which is like you drop a couple of balls, you watch and you see who picks up the ball and potentially there's someone who can keep holding that ball for you. You know, you learn. <laughs> that happened to me recently with a Cub, Cub Scout pack. And I was like, I'm actually kind of glad someone picked that one up for me. That was helpful. See? Um, yeah, there's just so many things there. Um, it, it is neat, though. Do you ever encourage your guests, like I was doing just now, sort of, the idea of like asking your, your own question back to you? Do you ever encourage them to do that? Yeah. Sometimes I do. And sometimes we point out things that that they've never thought about in that way. Or it's like it's this whole yeah. all-around sort of epiphany moment. But that's probably like 10% of the time or less. Like, I will admit to being a nervous interviewer and interviewee myself. And a lot of times it's easy to just be up in your own head and be like, I just want to get the thing done. I want to get it done in a way that nobody yeah. but me knows the anxiety behind it. And I'll call it a, a successful day if that happens. Right, right. And A, the power of editing, right? And the power of editing, <laughs> yeah. I've said some pretty dumb things that have been clipped and saved internally to bother me, but uh, they don't get publicized, right? So yeah, you know, when in doubt, chop it out. Chop it out. Editing, I like that. When, when I hear from people totally. that they chucked away an interview, it makes me sad. Not because I know the answer, but it's like, listen, I'm sure there's like, Nothing that ha some people thought worthy of having a conversation about is entirely useless. That said, maybe it doesn't serve your purpose like right now. So here, I have a question back for you, Casey. You know, any of that dumb okay. shit that you've said in podcasts that you only use internally, have you considered putting some of that out as, uh, as occasional like bloopers slash behind the scenes material? It's a great idea. You should. Yeah, it's a great idea. You know, our team... Yeah, you know, I do have a... I, go ahead. Go ahead. Our team did a thing where... See, I do this. I do this thing where I touch my hair. So um, nice. our team did a thing of me where I'm like touching my hair in 200 episodes. So like, like, it's like... It's, and I think they put a song to it. And so I was like, that's funny. And I think it got so much like visibility, that one dumb video. Um, but it's just a quirk, right? Like it's a nervous stick from my part. Um, yeah, of but course. they found it funny and laughed at me so long internally that when they put it out, I was like, that's funny. I'll, I'll go with it. <laughs> you know, I had the team do that too with it. Hey, we're going to film a video about filming podcasts and guys trying to make something funny on purpose. Like we get, we can't be lame, but they have a video of me storming out the door of my office saying three podcasts down, two to go. <laughs> and I drink some coffee and then I drink some Red Bull and I spill it as I'm drinking. <laughs> so I'm just like all crazy, right? And I thought, nah, that's one. But they turned into a short, shout out to Sam, team turned into a short and you know, it's got like thousands of views of me See? being a crazy podcast person. Uh, so yeah, you gotta have to sort of embrace the the crazy. You yeah. never you never know, but I do like your idea of the highlight reel. I think so. I use a, I, I use Thor's hammer to smash myths on the marketing show. Love it. So I, I could see a, a montage of me passing Thor's hammer to people. Do it. Uh, but, you know, even these ideas alone, we'll, we'll just give Sam these these uh, these crazy ideas. And then the next thing you know, this montage will exist. So I love it. I look forward to seeing it. <laughs> hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, you know, one other point I was going to touch on, I think it's important that you, you're checked in as a host. And, and even if you take an hour or you suck at asking questions or tying questions together like I'm doing right now, um, but at least you want to know the answer. I feel like that's so freeing, right? I just want to know the answer. So I'm just going to ask you this question, but, but not asking questions you don't want to hear. Yeah. Have you, have you counter much of that with guests maybe you're not that interested in or that some that you are? No. I don't think so. I think that intrinsically, you gotta wanna do this on some level, whether yeah. it's the posting or the guesting. I think you've gotta have some sort of affinity to it. And once you do, I think you rarely encounter a topic which is off limits on on either side. And if you do, I think you you'll sense the edges of the discomfort, and you'll just skirt around it and just sort of move away. But I don't think I've actually come to a place where I'm like, I really don't want to answer that or. 
neither have I encountered a guest where they've said, I really don't want to answer that. I think one guest where they said ahead of the conversation that they had some legal issues surrounding a particular piece of information. And then they let us know about that before the conversation. But other than that, I don't even think we've actually considered what you just said. (laughs) Yeah, but I think sometimes as a host, I mean, the answer is, like if you ask rote questions or your guest isn't being authentic or genuine, I know it bothers me sometimes. So yeah. I'll just. Well, it's too basic. Like, you mean like pumpkin spice answers to pumpkin spice questions? That would, would I'm big enough? <laughs> yeah, like like plas- plastic pumpkin spice, like a like a display donut. Yeah, yeah, Is yeah. it real? You know? That's terrible. And that I see a lot, not so much in my first degree of like either part in hosting or guesting stuff, but more just in the process of doing research and listening to other podcasts, including some very large names. When I'm like, oh my God, this cannot be the best that you can do. You know, this yeah. this cannot be like this cannot be considered like information. It's very much like I'm trying to think of a really dumb thing to say. It's very much like in order to to do business, there must be finances. Like dumb shit. Like I mean, like, you know, that kind of thing. No, no. Like if and and I think you can tell really quickly. I think you can tell. In the first four to five minutes of an interview, whether you're about to hear something good or not. Um, and if I do start to yeah. hear those like banal themes, then I will bounce. <laughs> Same. Yeah, totally. Right. Especially, you know, with, with marketing pods, it, if you get that emotional tie in like you do with, you know, what keeps you up and it usually keeps me in, involved, even just for the emotion or the energy that they're sharing. Uh, because if I have to have another conversation about MQLs, and SQLs, I'm gonna like or SEO for yeah, that matter. SEO totally, I will yeah, I will not interview anyone on SEO because I just can't mentally handle hearing about it again. Right. Uh, but yeah, but pick and choose. Uh, this has been fantastic. One final question for you: If we were to chat again 50 episodes from now, about a year worth of podcasting for either of your shows, what do you want them to look like? If we chat again, you can. They, there are anything you want 50 episodes from now. What do they look like, sound like? What are people saying about them? I think they're a lot more entertaining, Casey. That's where I want to take them. I think they start to straddle the line between information and entertainment. I think it becomes an experience and a production from that perspective in itself. Like I find myself consuming a lot more stuff from people who who strive to do the skits and the funnies and the metaphors and the hilarity um, and I'd love for it to land in that space. Yeah, and I, as I say it, I'm thinking, yo, one of your podcasts is inclusion. Are we sure we want to land there? And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I'd like to see what that looks like. Because I think taking a little bit of pressure out of things does us all some good. So I'll meet you at the intersection. We, yeah. <laughs> I love that. We learn from stories. Yeah. We remember stories. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And let's not wait 50 episodes from now but have you back on and I, I can't wait to see where your shows goes from there so awesome awesome thank you for being here thank you for schooling me on what your what your beliefs and your wisdom are and I just I've, I've learned a lot and and I didn't know what I was going to learn on this show and I'm so happy that we had a chance to chat even though we didn't do a prep call I'm so glad we <laughs> did the show together so thank you Susan I love it thank you so much Casey this has been absolute pleasure Hell yeah. Hell yeah. For those listening, if you learned something, and I freaking know you did, because I literally have two pages of notes front and back over here, then share this with someone else, one person, nine people, 3,000 people, doesn't really matter, even one person on LinkedIn, or or just begging a post, but tag Susan, tag myself, we'll hop in there, we'll, we'll, we'll murder people in the comments, it'll be great. We won't murder them. We'll just, we'll really encourage everyone in the... <laughs> we'll rile them up. <laughs> uh, we'll rile them up for you. We'll get you that engagement you've been looking for. Um, but with that, Susan, thanks again. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. All right, everyone. This has been another crazy episode of Creating the Greatest Show. We will see you all next time. And next time doesn't have to be next week. Life's too short and we have way too much to talk about. Find show notes full of takeaways, lessons, and links at creatingthegreatestshow.com. For more information on launching your own podcast or working with us to produce your existing show, 
Come on down to the big tent at ringmaster.com. Until then, friends, whatever you do, do it with all your might. Work at it, if necessary, early and late, in season and out of season, not leaving a stone unturned and never deferring for a single hour. That which can be done just as well now. P.T. Barnum.